0: Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond, with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, host and founder of the Freshman Foundation Podcast. Hope you're doing well today. This is uh, a little bit of a diff- different episode. Typically, I have uh, guests that I interview on the podcast to talk about um, their experiences and expertise in the athletic transition space. But uh, today it's going to be a solo episode and it's uh, uh, kind of a special episode to me and uh, maybe a little bit self-indulgent. But uh, since I choose how this podcast goes, I'm going to take the opportunity to uh, use the platform to talk about myself today and some of the things that I've been through. And hopefully I can tie that back to um, the, the theme and the meaning of the podcast and uh, how it applies. But uh, I'm recording this episode on October 3rd, 2022, which is exactly 10 years to the day, uh, the last time I made a bet. And so I am a recovering compulsive gambler uh, with exactly 10 years of abstinence from gambling and uh, 10 plus years in um, the process of recovery, recovery program, which I'm very grateful for and uh, is something that I am very proud of. um, And I wanted to share about that and um, in a long form way today. Uh, I'm also dedicating this episode to my mother who passed away uh, just a couple of days ago. Um, She was in pretty poor health and um, the last few months have been really difficult. Um, And I think she's in a better place at this point, but um, I want to dedicate it to her. Um, She made a lot of sacrifices in her life for me to do the things that I wanted to do. Um, particularly when I was younger, uh, as it relates to being an athlete and, uh, drove me a lot of places and parted with a lot of money that we probably couldn't afford to part with and, um, spent a lot of time watching games and, uh, just being my biggest supporter. And, um, you know, I think it's a really important job that us as parents have to play that role. Um, in our kids' lives. And, you know, certainly I think there's a, a, a right way and a wrong way to do it or a better way and a not so good way to do it, um, to be a sports parent. Uh, and I think, you know, by and large, my mother was really good. Um, because she was just concerned that I was getting the most out of the experience and, and that I was having fun and that I was doing things the right way. Um, and, uh, you know, I pass that on to my own kids today. And so again, I want to dedicate the episode to her. Um, and I'm going to talk very honestly about my own, um, journey, not only, uh, as a gambler specifically, but how that has affected my life and affected my life in so many different ways. And so I guess to start, um, you know, I started gambling at a very young age. Um, I was, probably, I was 11 years old, not quite 12 when I made my first sports bet. And so I was a kid who was obsessed with sports. Um, not only playing sports, but statistics and watching them. I mean, I watched every single Yankee game I could every single night. Um, I watched every single Giants game I could every Sunday. Um, I watched the Knicks and the Islanders. I just watched sports all the time. And I found myself escaping into sports at a very young age as a way to cope with some of the things that were going on in my house. And, um, I just found great, uh, comfort in it. And, uh, it was always something that I just loved. And I, you know, I, I dreamt of playing baseball in college, you know, somewhere far away. And warm in California. And, and that was at a very young age. And I wrote stories about being, you know, becoming a professional athlete, um, when I was in my teenage years and sort of fantasized about where sports could take me. And it was just such a big part of my life and part of my identity. Um, and unfortunately that included, uh, gambling. Um, it was something that came pretty naturally to me in the sense that, um, my love for sport kind of pulled me into it. I lived in a home where it was fairly acceptable to gamble. Um, I looked up to adult role models, male role models who gambled and it was commonplace. It wasn't taboo. It wasn't frowned upon. It was, frankly, it was, uh, embraced and it became a way for me to, um, bridge a gap with male family members, my father and uncle and others, um, through my childhood. And a lot of the time, the things that I did with, with my father were related to gambling, whether it was watching sports or, you know, watching horse racing and gambling on horse racing or betting on sports or talking about bets. And, um, you know, it was, it was normal. And, um, it was important to me and, and I really wanted to be good at it so that I could show that I was, you know, I was smart and uh, that I knew what I was talking about and I had something to connect with. And, you know, I learned how to read it. Um, if, if you're familiar with horse horse racing a racing form at a very young age, it's a newspaper with all of the statistical data for each, you know, horses horse that was running in a race. And uh, I learned how to read it. I learned how to interpret it. I, formulated my own theories and philosophies about how to handicap horse races. And that's something I did in my teen years and did, you know, very gleefully. And uh, I took great pride in it. And it's something I took great pride in until the day I stopped gambling. And so I guess I say this all to say is that it was really, I, I was immer- I was immersed in the behavior. I, at times I was obsessed with it. Um, and it was just always a way to s- escape from reality. And that would be a common theme in my life um, from the time I started till the time I stopped gambling at the age of 37. And so I relate it back to the, you know, the theme of the podcast, which is, you know, transitions are hard for anybody. You know, we talk about athletic transitions and how they're hard for athletes, whether it's, you know, moving up in level um, or having to retire or having to go through a, a significant injury Um, but those, those transitions are really hard and a lot of times we aren't prepared for them and we don't know how to cope with them. And that was sort of the, you know, the, that was sort of the, the, the theme of my gambling behavior, you know, at times as I sort of, you know, found my way through adolescence, you know, gambling was something that helped me deal with, um, family turmoil, it helped me deal with insecurity. It helped me deal with um you know, just a lot of things. And um it was something that I really uh took to. It made me feel it made me numb. It made me not feel, um, I should say. And a lot of times it was just a way to to escape. But at the same time I was making really poor choices and putting myself into positions even at an early age where I was, you know, losing money that I didn't have. And I was unable to stop myself from gambling. Um, You know, when I was in situations where I didn't have any money to gamble, I gambled anyway. Um, And I had very little self control and it was very shameful because, you know, I didn't want to be perceived as a loser. I was super competitive. Um, but I always just kept going, you know, not knowing when to stop. And, uh, you know, that was indicative of my high school years, you know, and then, you know, as somebody who played three sports in high school and took great pride in it, and it was pretty good at what I did, uh, for the most part. Um, I started in high school, uh, for three years in football and two years in baseball. And I captained both those teams and, um, you know I was a good athlete solid athlete and uh, I took it very seriously and it was very important to me um and uh, it was a huge part of my life and then when that ended in 1993 when I graduated from high school I didn't go on to play college sports and frankly I think that that's a tremendous regret of mine and there are a lot of reasons I think why I didn't play one is you know I didn't really have the The understanding of the recruiting process. You know, my parents at that point hadn't really gone through traditional higher education. You know, um, my father didn't really have much college, and my mother graduated from college the same year I graduated from uh, high school. So she went back to school later in life, and so my parents didn't really understand. Forget about recruiting, but they didn't understand college and how it worked and they didn't understand where to go and what to do. It was really a a very, um, you know, very raw process for me. And I just sort of was throwing darts and, you know, recruiting was just not something on my radar. I didn't know how to get noticed or I just thought somebody was going to show up at my door. Um, You know, and I, you know, we had some recruiting visits, you know, general recruiting visits from schools and I submitted some paperwork and I got some letters, but nothing of substance, uh, and I just didn't really know what to do with it. And um, the truth of the matter is, is that if we were more educated and if we had better coaches, if my parents knew more and had more money and resources to put toward the process, yeah, could I have gone on to play college baseball? Probably. I Probably wouldn't have played college football, but I definitely could have played college baseball as I see it today. I mean, you know, there, there are kids out there going to play college baseball. I've played against guys in adulthood who were in their you know in my 30s against guys who were division one college players and ex-pros and you know I never felt overwhelmed by it and I think I was that kind of player in high school where I could have probably played division three or division two baseball um you know and been competent you know for four years but I missed out on that and I think that that was a real regret and then when I moved on to college you know I sort of lost this really big part of my identity which was was being an athlete you know I, I had a lot of free time. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends. I went to college in a faraway place where I, I didn't have any relationships. I didn't know then, but I know now that I'm an introverted person and that I don't make friends very easily and I am, have difficulty trusting people at an intimate level. And it was just a really perfect storm for somebody like me to, to struggle socially. Um, you know, I, my first year, I didn't really have many friends at all. Um it just was a huge transition. I was learning how to to be a student really for the first time in my life and uh I had to get a job to make ends meet, you know, week to week. And um it was just a really hard thing. It wasn't the the fun, you know, sort of process that most people think of when you go to college. Oh, it must be so much fun. You go to Michigan State, it's gotta be such a good time. And I wasn't much of a partier right? and I didn't really drink and I didn't really want to drink or go out or do those things. And so um, in that respect, was it, was it really a good fit for me? No, probably not, but I just didn't really know any better. Um, And then my second year there, you know, I went back and I didn't, never thought about not going back. I never thought about quitting or transferring or anything like that. I, you know, I, I was going to stick it out. And the second year I, I did find some, some friends that I could rely on and trust, but I also found friends that like to you know, that like to gamble like me. And, um, that eased that second year and made me feel much more normal because I was going to the casino and to the racetrack and reading books about horse racing with my friend. And, um, it was like, I was home again. And, uh, you know, that really helped me. It was a great coping mechanism and, um, you know, the homesickness and the Um, you know, and, and the concerns about money and, you know, the concerns about fitting in kind of went away. But at the same time, I was creating many of the same problems that I experienced later in life. As a result of my gambling, I was in debt. Um, I was, you know, I was at times I was, you know, unstable, you know, emotionally, very, you know, very difficult times where I would come home, and I, it's the first time in my life. You know, it was probably nineteen or twenty when I admitted I had a problem. It was away at college, and we had come home from a late night at the casino. Um, you know, and I it was sun was probably up. It was probably eight nine o'clock in the morning, and I had lost more money than I could have afforded to lost, and I couldn't stop myself. Like literally, physically, could not stop myself until I had no other. Um, you know. Assets to exhaust. At that point, I couldn't get any more money. I just was st- stuck. Like I ran myself into a hole and I couldn't get out of it. Uh, and I came home and I just remember breaking down to a friend saying like, I, I have a problem. I need to get help. And that was, you know, probably 20 years before I stopped gambling or close to it. So I went on for quite some time knowing that I had a problem, but never really wanting to address it because at that point, gambling was more productive and more beneficial to me than, uh, it, you know, it was more productive for my life than it would be, you know, without it, if I don't know what I would have done without it at that point. And so I kind of pushed on and, you know, (laughs) it was, it was a boring, it's a boring story in the sense that it was very repetitive and it wasn't like I was losing millions of dollars and I was, wasn't jet setting to, you know, fancy places. I was a grinder. I was a college kid with a bad habit and not a lot of money. And it was just a very, very pathetic and sad existence. You know, the irony of it is, is I did really well in school and I worked a full-time, almost a full-time schedule. And I, you know, I, I, had two semesters where I had a 3.9 GPA and I graduated with honors and I got accepted to the university of Chicago, you know, public policy school. And I was a really good student and, uh, I was able to, to excel academically, even in the midst of, you know, this, you know, problem behavior that was my first love, but I was also obsessed with generating good grades and having a good, uh, academic career and I wanted to go on to get, you know, something bigger. And I did that, but it, it really, again, was a, a case of me not understanding like myself or how to really, um, advocate for myself. Cause I thought that I, I wanted to go into public policy. I wanted to go into government, but the truth is I always wanted to go into, do something in sports and I never, One understood again, it was almost like the recruiting process. I never really understood what it would take or how I would get a job in sports. I mean, at the time, it was, you know, 25 years ago, it was very different um, than it would be today, but, you know, surely still competitive and, you know, having parents and, and who don't really know much of anything. And I came from a place where it was like, well, I had to make money. I didn't have a choice about you know, going into a career where I didn't make much money because somebody was going to back me up. I I didn't have that option. I had student loan debt. Um, and I had to, you know, go out and make as much money as possible. So I was always pointed toward a career where I thought I could make money. Um, and that's kind of what I did. You know, I just kind of put money first and, um, did very well in grad school and I finished in 1999 and came back to New York in, in 2000. And, um, you know, I never really completely stopped gambling, but there were definitely years where I didn't do it as much. I started to, um, go out more and be more social in my early twenties. And I'd like to go out and have a good time. And I picked that up at some point. Um, and I still bet on football games and I still bet on horses here and there, but I didn't have like a full time, you know, obsession addiction to gambling, you know, at that point. And so, I had other things in my life, but I still had some of those same issues of, you know, you know, trying to fit in and trying to, you know, look good and let make people think that I was okay and that, you know, I was, I was always putting on a show for people and I never really showed who I was for real in my life. Um, And that's something that I've learned in the last 10 years of recovery is that it's okay to be who I am and to not be ashamed of that. And by sharing about myself and knowing myself in a, in an honest way and sharing about myself, you know, it helps other people. Um, Not everybody understands it. You know, why, why did you gamble and you know, what made you do these things and how could you, and what was it so important, but they understand the vulnerability of being able to say like, Hey, I had a problem and, like I didn't really get it, you know, I didn't really get myself and I was in denial. And so, uh, you know, I continued again, like I said, I continued to gamble through my twenties and, you know, 30, early thirties when I got married and I always gambled and my ex-wife knew I gambled, but it was, it was more recreation than obsession. You know, I probably lost money, more money than I needed to or should or could. Um, but it also wasn't an everyday thing for me at that point. Um, and it wasn't until another really significant transition in my life that I started to gamble, um, much more substantially. So when my first child was born, my son Patrick was born in, um, on October 31st of 2008, um, my changed my life, you know, it changed my life in a really good way. Um, you know, obviously I, I love my children and that was one of the greatest days of my life is when he was born. And, um, but I, I, I also didn't really understand that the process of bringing a child into the world is really hard. And, uh, you know, mom, mothers face, you know, postpartum trauma, you know, sometimes, and there's a depression that comes with it. And, and I think I kind of fell into the same bucket, you know, like I didn't, was worried that I wasn't going to have much of a social life. I, didn't know like what exactly I was supposed to do only thinking that the expectation was that I needed to like, d- you know, dedicate my whole life to being a father um, and being, you know, an income winner. And, you know, it just, it was overwhelming more so than I ever realized. And so at that point, you know, I started to gamble. I made a conscious choice. I mean, it it's saying it sounds, you know, it sounds crazy, but at that point, I made a conscious choice to gamble every day. Um, for a lot of reasons. One, it was a form of entertainment, and I, feel, I felt like, well, if I gamble, like I'm definitely going to have something to do. It gives me something proactive to do. I can watch sports at night after the baby goes to bed. Um, I can, you know, uh, I can, uh, you know, I, I just, I have something to do, and um, I can maybe make a little bit extra money. You know, I started to look at it from a financial perspective. Like I was working at a, com- a mainly commissioned position at that point in my life, and I wanted to make more money, and it wasn't coming. The economy was in a really bad place at that point in two thousand eight nine. Uh, it was a really crappy time, if you remember, and and I wasn't making a lot of money other than you know a small amount of draw that was coming in, and I wanted to to make more money. I wanted to make more money, and. Um, And, uh, so I justified it as a financial investment (laughs) and, uh, you know, it suited me. It was a, a really, um, it was an ideal coping mechanism, at least in my mind at that time for where I was. And, um, I didn't really understand what I was about to get myself into. And so, um, the, the daily behavior, you know, it became progressive in nature, you know, whereas in the beginning I had a plan and I had... Uh, you know, ideas about how it was going to go, kind of went out the window. You know, the volume of 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 bets went up, the amount of money that was bet went up. Um, the immersion in the the process was um, it's all right. It was crazy. Um, I spent so many hours watching games, um, handicapping games, creating spreadsheets. Um you know, I am, what I've learned about myself, you know, is that I'm an all in all or nothing person in a lot of ways, you know, and it's sort of that way with, you know, my business now, frankly, it's like, it's, it's like, I'm all in and I'm not gonna stop until I get to where I want to go. Um, and I think I, I love that about myself because, you know, I believe in what I'm doing. Um, but at the same time, you know, it kind of, blinds me at times to, you know, really step back, um, and be realistic about what's going on. But I was all in and I just did some crazy shit. You know, I would stay up late at night and watch basketball or whatever was on football, baseball till after midnight on a work night, I'd get up early. I'd handicap games for the next day. Uh, you know, I would stay at work late, um, in my office at work in, in Manhattan and, you know, pretend like I was working, but really I was like handicapping games in the afternoon. So I get my seven o'clock bets in. And then after seven o'clock I stayed and tried to catch up on work while I was watching the games on you know the internet. Um, there were days where, you know, I had gotten so, um, hooked on making the bet and the process, the habit loop of making a bet every day that I couldn't like stop myself from betting, you know, like I couldn't physically, like there were days where I was so exhausted from gambling and I just couldn't stop myself because I was like, well, what if I don't bet? What if it wins and I need to win and I can't afford to lose? And, you know, I'm at a stick to my process and I can't, you know, and it was just like this insanity. And, um, it was that way for every day for four years, literally every single day, uh, I was committed to this process. And in the beginning it was commit commitment to a, what I thought was a really logical and, um, and sound process. And at the end it became just an addiction and, uh, you know, completely delusional, uh, chase for, you know, money and self-esteem and trying to cover up the lies and, uh, deceit and deception, um, you know, that I had sort of, um, directed toward my ex-wife and, um, it was like this spiral and, you know, I, now I, I work at, um, part of what I do in my work is I speak at colleges to student athletes about the dangers of problem gambling. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, I talked about, talk about, um, you know, in those sessions is like just the, the depths of, of my willingness to, to lie and to, to cheat and to, to steal That like the behavior was so um, overwhelming and so all encompassing that I would basically say or do anything to get out of the problem. And one of the things that comes with that for a lot of compulsive gamblers is turning to suicide. And gambling has the highest rate of suicide uh, of any addiction, and uh, that's something I talk about a lot. And I think a lot of people don't really can't can't really relate to that because if you're not a problem gambler, and gambling is very different than other forms of addictive behavior, because there are very rarely outward signs that somebody has a gambling problem. It's not like doing drugs or drinking. You could see it. You could smell it. You, you know somebody's impaired with gambling. You just can't tell. I mean, they're acting maybe a little crazy and, you know, they have bad days or they're cranky and I was irritable and frustrating and angry and nasty and all those things. But there was no outward sign that it was tied to gambling. And what it ends up doing is it ends up, you know, eating you away inside because you don't want to come clean about all of the... Um, shameful behavior that you're, you're partaking in. But at the same time, it, it gives the, the people around you a sense that they're going crazy. And, uh, it's a really, really toxic and really sad, um, existence. And, uh, I never, I, I talk about this in my, in my talks at the colleges, I never got to the point where I contemplated suicide. Thankfully, um, I had gotten to, uh, a bottom, enough of a bottom that I, I was, I was willing to come clean and I'll talk about that. Um, but I think if I would have kept gambling the way I did, and it wasn't because of the money necessarily at that point, although it could have been eventually, uh, it was just, it was just not wanting to admit, you know, that I had a problem and that I thought that I was in control of everything and that, I didn't need to say anything or do anything, uh, to make other people happy and that I was in the right. And it was very self-centered and it was very delusional and it was very, you know, it was sick. I was a sick person and, uh, you know, it was really hard. Um, but when I, when I got to the bottom, it was a revelation that, um, I didn't want to do it anymore. And just like everything else in my life, I was all or nothing. And when I decided finally that I was going to stop and I was going to come clean, it was a commitment to stay clean and to not gamble again. Um, I know a lot of people who've stopped gambling for short periods of time, for long periods of time, and then they go back to it. Um, And that's not to say that I can't go back to it. But, um, and it's part of the reason why I do what I do and why I talk about, my addiction so freely is that it's a, it's a roadblock. It's a, it, it's a deterrent because people know, uh, if they know who I am and what I'm capable of, it's really harder to get, get over on them. Um, and when I decided that I was going to quit, I was going to quit. And I wasn't going to let anybody call me a failure in, in the process of quitting. And so I was committed to it. And what got me there was I, I had a massive panic attack in June of 2012. So just about a month before I made my last real bet, um, I was driving my car on the New Jersey Turnpike and uh, I had this episode that I'd never experienced before, but basically I thought I was having a stroke because all the blood rushed from my brain and um, I got very dizzy I got lightheaded. I couldn't focus and I thought I was going to die. Um, and so I, I somehow got myself or pulled over to the side of the road and, you know, stopped the car. It was very, very scary. And I got out of the car and I was having these dizzy spells and I didn't know what was going on. And then I tried to, I switched with, I was, I stopped driving the car and I, you know, I, I kept having these spells and even when I was driving and I thought, Oh, well, it's not that big of a deal, and, but it kept happening. And so it kind of freaked me out. And so I went to a hospital and I was in the hospital for six, or seven hours and there was nothing wrong with me physically. And and that, that would, was the first of probably three or four times I've been through that where I've had panic attacks or anxiety episodes. And I ended up in a hospital and nothing was wrong, but this was the first time. So it was the scariest time. And, uh, I, uh, I just didn't know what to do. And frankly, I didn't really equate the episode with my gambling at first. Um, I had a lot of other things in my life going on that were stressful. Um, and I just assumed it was them and not gambling, but, um, the episodes continued. And so it was affecting my daily life. I was having these sort of mini panic attacks, if you will, where I would get real dizzy and fuzzy and I'd lose my balance or I get, you know, whatever. And, Um, this is happening at work and I was scared to like sort of be at work and it was just really hard. Um, So I decided that I was going to go see a therapist and, and that was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life um, because it led me to really get comfortable with the idea of coming clean. And, uh, but in the first couple of sessions, maybe two or three sessions, I didn't tell my therapist that I had a gambling problem. I talked about, my work and how stressful work was. And I work was stressful, but I made it that way. I just couldn't cope. Um, and how stressful my marriage was. And, you know, that was stressful too, but I couldn't cope. And a lot of it was related to the gambling. And I didn't think that that was the cause. But I think after I gave it some more thought, I realized that, that it was. Um, and then once I, I verbalized it to my therapist, you know, then I knew it was like, that was going to be the end. You know, there's nothing I could do about it. And it started the process, started the wheels turning about like, Hey, I need to, to think about really stopping this behavior. And so, um, leading up to a family vacation in July of 2012, I really contemplated like, Hey, this is it. Like, I'm going to stop. Um, I'm going to stop at least for this vacation because I had ruined a number of family vacations in the in the previous years because of my gambling, I wouldn't be social. I wouldn't want to hang out. I'd be reading books about college football and pro football and handicapping for the fall and watching horse races in in uh, the rental property while people were at, with the family it was at the beach and just as a mess. And um, I told myself I wasn't going to ruin this 2012 vacation. I was going to not gamble and uh, and I was going to see how it went. And for the most part, that's exactly what happened. I didn't gamble um, for most of the week. Um, And uh, aside from one day, the second day of the vacation, the first day I didn't gamble, the second day I did gamble. Uh, And after the second bet that I made in the evening on Sunday, it was a baseball game between the Texas Rangers and the Los Angeles Angels. After that second bet, um, that was it. I just decided it was over and, uh, I spent the rest of the week clean as a whistle, like engaged, present, like, like a, like a, like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. But as the week went on, I also started to realize like, now I want this to be permanent. Um, now I'm going to have to deal with it. And that started creating a lot of anxiety And I broke down towards the end of the week and I told my ex-wife, she was my wife at the time, I told her, I said, you know, I'm really been gambling. I started crying. I was reading this book that sort of kind of opened me up to the idea of coming clean and that, you know, the fact that I was an addict wasn't my fault because of my family situation and all this stuff. And I came clean to her and she knew I gambled, but she didn't know the extent of it. And so when I kind of broke down, she was, you know, like supportive and she kind of You know, she was okay. You know, she was like, it's okay. It's okay. And then when we came home, we were talking about buying a house together in New Jersey. And like, that was when I really was like, okay, I cannot. One, I'm going to get caught from a money perspective, but two, like, I can't let this person like think that everything's okay and we're going to go buy a house and, and, you know. And I've been lying to her for the last four years. And so I broke down and told her the truth and uh, it was painful. I mean, I thought she was going to leave me. I was just like so overwhelmed. I just didn't see any way out other than to, to- come completely clean. And I did. And that's, you know, it started, um, started me on the road to recovery. I mean, the marriage was definitely in shambles for probably six months. We didn't talk much. She was in shock and. She didn't trust me. I I started going to meetings the day after I told her. I went to my first Gambler's Anonymous meeting on uh, July, I think it was 29th of 2012, uh, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, in the basement of a church. And I wanted to prove that I was serious, that I was serious about stopping. And when I walked into the room, I knew exactly, even though the people there were nothing like me on that day, I knew exactly where I needed to be based upon what they were saying, I could relate to their experiences about gambling and what it did to them and how it affected their lives and how it made them feel. And I just was like, yeah, this is where I belong. And so from there, it just became something I, again, immersed myself into. I I started going to, you know, not right away, but, you know, within a few months, I started going to two, three meetings a week. And uh, I was, you know, very active in my program. I spoke up a lot and I really paid attention and I had a sponsor and I worked really hard at doing the things that were being asked of me so that I could get better. Um, and I, I put everything I could into that. And uh, that first year was really hard because I had to learn how to live without gambling and I had to learn to be patient because my ex-wife didn't trust me and I had to, you know, really navigate that transition in a healthy way. And I did because I had people around me who supported me no matter what, you know, in my program. And uh, I was talking to a therapist and I was talking to my sponsor every day and I was going to meetings and I was doing the the things that I needed to do to get better, Um, which was great. And I was all in on it, but, you know, it was a long road and uh, I stopped watching sports for a while in that year uh, and even passed. And that was very difficult to accept at first, but it was something that was asked of me and I ended up doing it and it, and it worked for me. You know, I was a little stubborn at times, but, you know, when I made it to my first anniversary in, in Gambles Anonymous and I had my ex-wife and, and friends there to celebrate with me, um, it was one of the greatest feelings I ever had. It was like this amazing accomplishment that was so genuine and, (laughs) so much me rather than it being about impressing other people. There was only people there that gave a shit or the people that had been sitting there for the last year, like listening to my sob stories, you know, and watching me go through the process of like getting honest and, you know, um, I wasn't trying to impress anyone. I was just being myself, you know, I wasn't trying to like worry about people were judging me. I just was open and honest and I could be myself in that, that place. And, you know, it was, it's something I never experienced because I think a lot of my gambling was about appearances. It was not only about making myself feel better, but it was also making other people think that I was a big shot or, or better than I was or smarter than I was or whatever it is. Or maybe I wanted them to like me or I want whatever it is. Like I just, this is the first time in my life life I've truly felt like myself. And so, you know, I went through my first two or three years, four years of recovery, just on that track of like, hey, just be a better person, get your shit together, like, try to get things to slow down. Um, but eventually, I, I, I needed something more. And that's when I started to think about uh, a new career. And uh, I started exploring career ideas. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something where I was able to help others in my life um, and pass forward some of the help that I'd gotten from other people in my program and my therapist and whoever, um, the career coach that helped me, I wanted to pass it forward. And, and, and then I started to realize that like, Hey, I always wanted to do something in sports. Like now's the chance. So when I put those two things together and I did the work and it took, it didn't take two, two weeks or two months, it probably took me like two years to get to the point where I was ready to pull the trigger and I really knew exactly what I wanted to do. So it was a process. It was not, I woke up one day and said, Hey, I want to go into sports psychology. Like I had to really think through, like, is this what's best for me? And what do I want this to look like? And, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to work in sports and I wanted to help people. And I felt like this was the best way to do it. Um, and so I, I made a plan. I, uh, I researched schools. I applied to schools. I had a financial plan in terms of understanding like, you know, what it was going to cost versus what we could afford and how long I was going to have to go before I made any money and, and all these things, because I gave up a really good living in business, um, of really good living in business to, to pursue this, this opportunity, this goal, this dream. And, uh, you know, it wasn't an easy decision because, you know, even though financially we were in a decent place at that point, it was a lot of sacrifice. And, uh, I was, I was certainly willing to do it. And I went through my three years of school. It was supposed to be two. It ended up being three, but you know, I finished as the top student in my class and I received an award and I spoke at my graduation and my kids came to the graduation and I, I put everything I had into the into the transition, you know, I, I did probably a a thousand hours, unpaid hours of internship time at a high school and in a consultancy in the city in New York. And, um, I traveled to California to, to, to work in, you know, camps in the summer. Like I did this all for free and I paid the school to get my hours. Like I paid money and I gave every ounce of blood, sweat and tears to be really good at what I do. Um, hyper-committed, And, um, you know, I just felt really good about that. I was so proud of myself and I, I, I learned that through recovery, I was able to express myself in a way where it was for me, I was doing it for me. I wasn't doing it to make somebody else happy. Um, and I think it comes out of my work now that I just, I'm genuinely interested in helping other people. And that always is going to be my north, my north star, right? Like I have my own problems and things aren't always easy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of work and sometimes it's a lot of work for not a lot of return when you have your own business, but you know, to me it's worth the risk, you know, it's worth the investment. And, um, you know, it's, it's been a couple of years, you know, since I'm out of school and that, that was a big transition too. And during that time we went through COVID and I went through a divorce and I moved out and, uh, you know, away from my kids. And like, those would have been all really good excuses for me to go back to gambling because historically the reason why I gambled is when things got hard and they changed and I needed some way to cope, I would go back to gambling. You know, gambling would be the way that I would block it all out. And now it's, I'm at a point in my life where I'm just able to deal with reality, you know, when things aren't going my way, like I, I, talk to somebody about it and say like, Hey, things aren't going my way. And it's not necessarily looking for them to give me a solution or tell me what to do. It's just to have them listen to me. Um, and I usually turn to people in my program for that because they're, they're the ones that aren't judging me. Um, or if I need to make extra money, like I'm humble enough to know that like, if I want to keep this going, there's just days where I need to, you know, do something that's, you know, below my pay grade. And, Um, as a guy with two master's degrees from high level institutions and, you know, guy who's made good six figure salary. Like I (laughs) have to do a lot of things that people who have, are in my position or have been in my position wouldn't necessarily do because their ego, but, um, I'm doing it and I'm doing it, you know, it's hard, but, um, I'm not willing to risk my recovery, my abstinence and my sanity, um, for gambling. And I think if anything, if there's anything that comes out of this for me, I think about my time speaking to student athletes and and that's to say like, hey, not everybody is going to end up like me, but I think there are a lot of people out there who go through times in their lives that, you know, they're not ready for things that they're not ready for things they're not prepared for. And they turn to behaviors like, gambling or alcohol or drugs or food or spending, whatever it is that, you know, is your vice. Like we use that as a way to cope and, um, sometimes it works, you know, and that's okay. But if you're not aware that you're using it in that way, that's when it can become a really, a real big problem. Right. So I think about my, think about athletes, you know, the ones that get injured, the ones that have to retire from their sport because it's just time to end it or the ones that leave home and go somewhere and they're homesick uh, or they're not performing the way they want to perform or, you know, whatever the case may be, or they have a family issue, right? Like there, there are ways to use those behaviors to, to soothe them, to soothe, soothe yourself, to, to cope. And I think athletes, as I found out working, you know, in my, um, my time with Epic Risk Management as a speaker, I've learned that athletes and student athletes in general and athletes particularly are more at risk of developing a gambling addiction for a lot of reasons. You know, Their brains aren't fully formed and they're competitive and they might need money and all these different reasons, but I don't want them to ever turn to that. Right. So I'm not saying that by me talking about it or them hearing me talk about it, it's not going to happen or Maybe it'll never happen and it has nothing to do with me speaking about it, but I think I'm a big believer in building awareness. And so that's part of the reason why I'm recording this today is to help someone who's listening build awareness of the behavior, right? Whether it's gambling or whatever it is in your life that's being used as a way, a crutch or as a, as something, you know, a way to soothe the way you're feeling or to, to block out or escape from reality. I mean... You just need to know it's there so that you can do something about it. And uh, ultimately, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, I never would have talked openly about something like this because I would have been worried what other people were going to think of me and that they were going to judge me that I was a loser or, you know, like, how could you let that happen? Or how could you do that to your family? And like, what's your problem? You're a liar. You're a cheater. Yeah, I, I was like, okay. Like, you know what? I'm human. I'm, made a lot of mistakes and I didn't frankly know any better or if I did I just you know I just I did what I thought I had to do to to make myself survive and there were consequences to those actions and I don't deny it um but at the same time like I'm not going to hide from my past like it's part of it's shaped who I am and I think that that's a message I would take through to any person or any athlete or anybody who's listening to this is that don't be ashamed of you know your experiences, whether you've made mistakes or not, you are human. And if you learn from them and you, you share them with other people, so they don't make the same mistake or you use them to your advantage and make changes, then, you know, it happened for a reason. And that's the way that I view my own experience. Um, I've always, I've always tried to hold myself to account probably more than I even need to. I I tend to blame myself for things first before I ever point a finger at other people, even though maybe a lot of times it's not my fault, but it's okay because I can handle it, you know, and I know that a lot of people can't. And, um, sitting here in front of a microphone for what's going to probably amount to almost an hour, just telling a story about myself in which, you know, two thirds of it, if not more is, is, is negative rather than positive and being okay with that. It's like, says a lot to me about myself and where I've come to because, um, my ego is not the same as it was. Like it's, it's about sharing for the benefit of others, helping other people. It's not about protecting myself. There's nothing to protect myself from. Um, and you know, this is something I've wanted to do for a long time. You know, I wanted to share the story in detail. Um, and, uh, I knew coming up on 10 years, it was something that I was going to do because I wanted to do it. And if nobody listens to the podcast, well then I got to tell my story again in an hour and it helps me to remind myself of what a crazy fuck I was for a long time and, and how gambling really affected my life and if it, one person listens and gets something out of this then it's definitely worth it you know there's always some good opportunity that comes out of these the things that i invest in you know and it may not be exactly what i want but you know i wouldn't i wouldn't be um, walking the walk as a sports psychology professional if i wasn't able to understand that there's just some things i can can, can control and there's most most things i can't And what I can't control is who listens to my podcasts and how many downloads I get and how much money I make and how big my business gets. But what I can't control is what I do. Um, And I put every ounce of effort into my work, whether it's with a client, whether it's into um, building awareness, whether it's generating content that helps people, um, whether it's just helping others in general, Like I'm invested in that um and if i need to do something differently I, i'll do it and i'm open to suggestions and i'm not too proud because i know that you know that's just life and uh i did not think that way when i was gambling i was very black and white i was very much a victim in the sense that like when things didn't go my way i blamed other people i got angry um it was just a very very sad existence and uh you know, as a father, I would never want my own children to be that way. And in fact, it's something that I'm very, um, very passionate about as, as a parent is saying like, Hey, like you need to take responsibility and look at yourself in the mirror and take responsibility for your part in any matter. Um, and whatever that other person does is not up to you. It's not your business. And, uh, I think kids have a hard time understanding that and I get it, but I'm not going to stop saying it. I'm going to control my piece of things and, and let them continue to know that that's the way I feel. And hopefully, one day it sinks in when they're ready to to internalize it. So, um, I'm just really grateful to have the opportunity to share this. It's been a very, very uh, rocky 47. <laughs> at times, in a very rocky 47 years, but certainly the last 10 years in recovery, well, wonderful and and. I'm so grateful for them. It's been hard, you know. I've been through a lot. And uh I think it helps to share these stories, you know, for me it helps. Uh and hopefully it helps somebody else and um maybe it helps an athlete, you know, it helps a family, it helps a friend, it helps someone listening to this to know that you know life is hard and sometimes we do things that make us feel better that aren't good for us, but we do it anyway because that's all we have. That's the best we can do. Um and, uh, whoever's listening, know, needs to know that, uh, I'm here to help them if they, if they think they need my help. So, um, I guess I just wanted to get that off my chest. I mean, hopefully it wasn't too, uh, arduous or boring to listen to one person talk for 50 plus minutes, because that's the reason why I have guests on my show. Um, but this is a special one and I'm going to indulge myself and, um, hopefully, uh, <coughs> hopefully you enjoyed it as well. So uh, I just want to thank you for listening and, you know, hopefully you'll be back to listen to uh, the podcast in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this very personal episode of the Freshman Foundation podcast. I hope that you take something of value from my story. There are many resources out there. If you or a loved one has a gambling problem, I would be happy to be a starting point. If you ever need help, you can contact me at Michael at com. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching located in Fair Haven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at freshman foundation please subscribe give us a like on itunes spotify leave a review tell a friend most importantly come back in two weeks ready to get better